The Speaking Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Flemington Car and Truck Country. Best car buying experience ever online at Flemington.com. Award-winning House of Cupcakes, HouseofCupcakes.com, and Casa Gennaro's. Reservations, call 609-683-1212. And uh, we are back at Casa Gennaro. Oh, I'm so happy. Uh, we uh, just put our order in, so the appetizers will be out soon. And I, should, familia. I think we should probably introduce what this is. This is a dinner and a movie. Excuse me. Movie and a dinner. Uh, where uh, my wife and I, uh, I'm Jay Black, and uh, you know me from the Bill Spadia podcast, uh, the speaking podcast, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Christina. Who's always right, and we're late for dinner because Jay did not listen to me. Uh, I don't think anybody who forgot to wear a jacket in uh, November <laughs> and who is now shivering under my jacket has any, or my sweater, has any room to tell me what to do. You guys are refreshing to be on time. That is true, we did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess we now have verbal proof that you are sometimes correct. <laughs> So here's the premise of the show. My wife and I force each other to watch a movie, and then uh, we come to the lovely and wonderful Casa Gennaro that has some of the best food on the planet Earth, and uh, while we eat our meals, uh, we discuss the movies that we watched and um, what it says about the other person that they chose them. Now, normally, Chris, what we do is uh, we do your movie first, and then we do my movie. But I was thinking we start with my movie because, uh, like you sometimes do, you waited till the very, very last second, and you were watching this movie as we were driving up in the car. Uh, so you have very fresh thoughts about it, and I just want to hop right into your we fresh ha- we thoughts. Do, we have discussed why it's harder for me to watch the movies, right? Uh, are you doing your whole thing about, quote-unquote, having a day job? <laughs> and having three kids job? How many? <laughs> three? All right. That so seems excessive. So do you want me to talk... You want you want to talk about the movie that I assigned you first? No, no. I, I figured since you just watched Oh, just watched movie, it. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. following you. So uh, the movies that we chose this week are... Uh, Chris chose for me Forrest Gump, the 1994 Robert Zemeckis classic. I'll put that in quotes for right now. And I chose for Christina 2006's, maybe 2007's, uh, American Masterpiece from our one of the most exciting filmmakers alive and actually showing up for a second time on Movie and a Dinner, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Oh, he did um, Boogie Nights, right? Boogie Nights. How proud of you, me, that I remembered it. I remember because he's three names. Very proud, very proud. So, uh, Chris, okay. let's hop right so, into it. There Will Be Blood. Okay, not a movie I would ever watch again. Not a movie I would ever recommend to my friends. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Um, beautifully done. That area, beautifully done. The actors, amazing. The the boy, Paul Dano. Paul Dano and Daniel Day-Lewis. That was Daniel Day-Lewis? It was Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh. Who did you think it was? I don't know. Some good-looking guy. The main character, Daniel Day-Lewis. By the way, so, so good. My wife so didn't good. even recognize him. Uh, was that his last um, movie? Remember, because he left movies? No, he did. the last movie he did was Phantom Thread, another Paul Tam- uh, Thomas Anderson movie from oh, last year. Now, what I will say is this. Uh, they they throw around a lot about how he's America's greatest living actor, wait, or wait, the wait, world's wait. greatest living actor. I'm sorry. Some, when I was watching it, I was like, this guy is like the guy from Crucible. The way he speaks. <laughs> no, just at one point when he like yelled something like, "Oh my God, that sounds like um, I'll have my name." That sounds like a Proctor deal. Proctor, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
good, good job, honey. <laughs> Sorry, continue. There was a couple of times as we were driving up together that you went, oh, were we supposed to know that? And I thought, maybe I should be doing a movie podcast with you because there, there seems to be a lot of stuff that you don't sort of pick up on that was sort of made explicit in the movie. You really think it was explicit that, in, I mean, there was another man holding the baby, but it never, to no one ever said, that's his baby over the other baby. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know for a fact that it was explicit. I just know that I never thought of it as any other way. Well, Keen and I were watching. watching, and I said, Keen, is that the same guy or different guy? And Keen's like, oh, I, I think it's the same guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, we weren't sure. Gotcha. He, we knew it was one or the other. There's a lot of dusty men with mustaches. I get it. I'm oh, eating. no, the father didn't have a mustache. That's why I was so confused. The mustache is what threw me off. Anyhow, uh, not the first time that you've been thrown by a mustache. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds dirty, right? No. It sounded dirty in my head. It didn't, didn't work. Thrown uh, by a beard? So thrown let's uh, let's get to it. What did you love about this masterpiece and you didn't uh, dislike any of it? So I want to hear Honestly, at the end of it, I was thinking, why did he have me watch this movie? I'm sorry, I did. Um, it, it just didn't end. There was no ending to, there's no conclusion, there's no sure, resolution. Sure it is. He said, I'm finished. That's what you say at the end of something. He beat a man to death and then said, I'm finished. Right. He never saw his son again. Right. He broke all the ties. Yes. But there was never a moment of recognition of that. There was never a moment where the character, no redemption of any person. I think the son got some redemption. I mean, uh, with the way his life had gone, uh, he, he could have gone in a lot of different ways, and he managed to, to grow up and, and go and uh, live a... Uh, I mean, we, presumably, he found true love with Mary and uh, is now got his own company and free from the uh, overbearing nature of the dad. So I think there's some redemption there. That's not redemption, though. He never was bad. He never... So would, would you like? So what you're saying is you would have preferred a moment where Daniel Plainview goes, Ah, you know what? I've been kind of a jerk. Let me call my son and work this out. And the last half hour of the movie was in uh, family therapy. No, what I would prefer is the last scene him like walking off into Mexico. I see. And seeing his grandchildren. Right. I don't think that Paul, Daniel Plainview, who's a near sociopath, if not a full-blown sociopath. Really. Well, I mean, I I think that. At the very least, he sees everybody around him as a method for what he wants. Even the love that he has for his son, his son only sort of becomes problematic for him when he has a brother. When the brother shows up, it's, he sends the son away. The brother turns out to be false. He murders the brother and brings back the son. So I think that he wants a family, uh, but he doesn't want to, you know, Want to, he doesn't want a family uh, because that's sort of a sacrament of life that we all should have. He wants it because there's benefit for him. So uh, I don't think it's it's possible for him to see the world except as a series of either opportunities for business or opportunities for money. So Daniel J. Lewis's character is based on the filmmaker. Remember he said, I, I, I don't feel like I don't like people. I see everything wrong with people. I want to be away from people. You, you think that that's what Paul Thomas Anderson feels? Yeah. Why? Who would a sociopath want to... When they want to be away from people, they don't understand people. Right. Why would Paul Thomas Anderson feel that way? He said he's a sociopath. 
Did I say Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah. I'm so sorry. I thought. <laughs> I was talking about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, the character. <gasps> no. My apologies, everybody. No, I don't think he's a sociopath. You don't think uh, Daniel Plainview was a sociopath? No, because I do Oh, believe. here comes our appetizers. Oh, that does look good. All right, so why don't we do what we normally do. We're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back and talk about sociopaths after we finish eating the La Familia uh, uh, appetizer here, which is our favorite. Chris, get a picture of this. I don't think we've put pictures up. This is very pretty. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. All, All right. right, we'll be back right after this. And we are back from the appetizers. We just had the La Familia, which is like a mix of everything. The zucchini was my favorite. Yeah, the zucchini is great. Uh, the coconut shrimp. Whoever invented that. Amazing. Just get a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overstate what they've done for the world, but... Uh, they 100% at least deserve to be nominated. Yes. First guy who looked at a coconut, looked at a shrimp, looked at a coconut, looked at a shrimp, and said, wait a second. <laughs> uh, so we were uh, discussing how uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, not a sociopath. I don't remember now, but that's what I thought you said. Well, if I did, I apologize, Paul Thomas Anderson. I, not I know. Only I think you're a sociopath. I think you're the opposite. I think you're so empathetic that you're able to create characters, indelible characters. He's not going to listen to this. There's a chance. Okay. Maybe he's Googling himself right now. <laughs> and he's like, uh, ooh, this is podcast from New Jersey. What, the, what? I wonder what they're saying about me. And then he's like, oh, my God, that guy Jay sounds like he really gets me. We should be friends. And then uh, he'll look me up. And then Paul Thomas Anderson and I will uh, uh, take long walks together. Into the sunset? No, no, not in a weird way, honey. Right. Just like we, we hold hands and, and talk about movies. Okay. Our favorite movies, what I like about him, what he likes about me. Just like two bros. Just have bros do. Will I be kicked out of moving a... Huh? Oh. Will I be kicked out of a... Moving to dinner? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it would be Paul Thomas Anderson presents PTA and RJB. That's me. PTA and RJB. Yeah. Uh, listen, honey, that's a few months off. We've got to wait until he Googles himself before any of that happens. Uh, so it, I, I was disappointed because it seems like not only you didn't like it, you were, like, sad that I made you watch it. So I saw half of it last night, and at work today, I was thinking about it, and I was I was thinking how compelling this is, so I'm still thinking about it. So it was compelling. I had to see it to the end. I had no idea it was going to take me. For some reason, I thought you said the ending was, like, a surprise. It was to me. Because there was no redemption? Yeah. Because I, I will say that I liked I liked the full circle of him getting to yell at uh, Paul Dano's character. I mean but murdering him felt just a titch too far. Just a titch. Yeah, it does seem extreme and having watched it now twice in the last week, mm -hmm. um, I think it fits because the the last half of the movie uh, starting from the moment that the well breaks and H.W. Uh, loses his hearing, has is slowly but surely stripping Daniel of any connection to humanity. Yes. Right? I mean, he loses his son, uh, gives his son away, uh, takes his brother, then finds out it's not his brother, kills that person, uh, gets his pipeline, but in doing so, uh, gets that house that he's always wanted where he is disconnected from people and steps on his son, basically says, you're not my son, tells him that you're not of me. So he's got nothing. His humanity is completely gone. But he uh, got what he wanted, the, the house. Right. He to got be the, away from people. He got the house and got what he wanted. Uh, and then he got his final triumph 
over this character that has was a long simmering antagonist for Daniel, probably because he's more Daniel than Daniel would probably like to admit. That uh, the Paul Dano character yes. is is a mirror of of Plainview, and the entire movie they mirror scenes. Uh, Plainview slaps uh, uh, Sunday. Sunday goes home and slaps his father. Yeah. Uh, Sunday forces Daniel to publicly renounce the thing that he would hate to, to say. You know, I've abandoned my boy, and then he makes Dano uh, scream that God is a, but is I a don't, superstition. I don't think he abandoned his boy. I didn't think he did. I, I actually thought that was a stretch because he couldn't. Now he could have done a lot better, but I think he sincerely loved that kid. It wasn't because he was a baby in the basket and it helped deals. He, he was holding that kid. He was crying about the kid. He. Uh, if we could get that, that kid. wrapped up, would that be possible? Thank you. He went and saved that kid. He. He definitely. That intense scene where he's running the sun and there's that drum beat, yep. the heartbeat. He loved him. But it was interesting though, because as he left him, he said um, to the other guy, Why are you upset? Right. We have oil. Right. Be happy. And then they laugh and the oil comes up, and the guy says, Well, how's your son? He goes, Not good. Right. Um, now. I think there's a complicated set of emotions that he yes. has for HW, but I do think that he abandoned his boy, and I'll tell you why. I think that it's it's subtle. Uh, George arrives, so he has a brother. He, he has that family. Uh, and at that moment, if you remember, uh, there's a flashback to when the, the the baby was crying. He puts a little whiskey on the milk bottle uh -huh. and it gives it to him to quiet him down. Uh, he It's daytime and he's putting his son down with uh, half goat's milk, half whiskey, and the son downs it in one thing, which by the way, uh, Great scene. He yeah. really did it. You can imagine in college. I mean, I, I had tough. I had a tough time bringing down a Zima in college, let alone goat's milk and whiskey. <laughs> I love Zima. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We know you were popular at fraternity, Sonny. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's I wasn't popular at fraternities. I was popular like at sports, like you know, like sports Diff houses. The guys. Different sports. set of boys that yeah. yeah liked when you had How your fifth dare Zima. Dare you minimize me? Uh, so, I, I think that. His reasoning for sending the boy away is what the the abandonment is, because it, it's again everything is through the eyes of what uh, Daniel needs. He needs to have people around so that he can have someone with him to do the deals. But his son has become a burden, so he's not sending him off because that's what's best for the son. If he had done, if he had brought in a tutor or or sent his son away when he first got deaf. Then you could argue he was doing what's best for his son. He was just annoyed by his son. He, he's, he wanted I, his son to go to bed at like four in the afternoon. I know, that was crazy. With a whole bunch of whiskey. He was, the boy was a burden because he couldn't hear. And that's why he sent him away. Not to make their lives better, but to be free of him. See, I looked at it as, he did say he needs a teacher or something. Right. And then he sent him away. So I thought maybe that's what he found. And then when he came back, I... I, I could see the whole correlation of his, you know, brother and not his brother needing right. a family. Some just one person with him mm -hmm. to help him. Um, I, I didn't see. Even when he sees his son, what's he say? That does me good. That yeah. does me good. Well, I kept being like, "Why are you talking? Why are you yeah. talking?" Like, not throughout the movie, he never tries to use his hands. Only once when right. he tells him to drink the thing, right? Drink the whiskey. But he says we're out of steak. Like, there are a lot of hand gestures that you could be doing 
um, okay, you know, because a lot of people in my family are deaf, and teach teacher the deaf. I, I see people trying to interact with deaf people that don't know sign language. He made no effort. Right. Um, right. And um, I, but I still think there was genuine love there when he's holding him and crying. And right. I, I, I think it's complicated uh, for sure, but I, I do think that there is, with Daniel, there's no escaping the fact that he has a greed in him that is more powerful than any other emotion that he has. And what we're watching through the course of that movie is him, the greed devouring him. Like he sucks the oil from the ground, so the oil sucks the humanity from him. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin a little bit of what I'm gonna say about your movie, Forrest Gump. I think that uh, these are two movies that attempt to do the same thing, hmm. which is uh, draw a, a metaphor for the American capitalist experience. And uh, what Forrest Gump is, Forrest Gump is a America how we'd like to see ourselves. And There Will Be Blood is how America really is. That soulless capitalism, the idea of pursuit of uh, money above all, is, is a virtue. I mean, think about it. Daniel is a heroic character, and there's all these beats in there that are, in any other movie, would be heroic beats. You know, he like the opening 20 minutes of silence, where he pulls himself out of the, the uh, uh, silver mine and then pulls himself mm -hmm. to town. Uh, that's heroic. That's yes. a heroic thing to do. And we sit there and we go, okay, this is a hero. And then he takes the baby. And then he takes the baby. And he's got all these trappings of heroism. But as the greed sets in, it slowly but surely just becomes about uh, gaining wealth for no other reason except to have it and to push people away, the soullessness of wealth. So it's, I think it's kind of easy to read as... But that's not a sociopath, it's feelings. Okay, well, perhaps, but that, uh, you know, maybe what you say then is that uh, capitalism forces you to stop being a human being uh, and, and push those away from you. You know, he says, I'm going to start my own business. And Daniel Plainview doesn't go, good, well, you know, rising tide uh, lifts all ships. He goes, uh, you're my competitor, so you're nothing to me. You're a bastard in a basket. Right. So he, he loses all his humanity in the pursuit of, of oil. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, there's a, a statement to be had here that this is the... America as it really is, which okay. is I, I buy your metaphor. strong men going out and plundering the earth mm -hmm. for their their own needs, and in doing so, destroying you know anything that could be human about them. Now, by the way, uh, before you write in to tell me that I am an Elizabeth Warren socialist, uh, understand I love capitalism. I've tried to I failed at many businesses. <laughs> people, you uh, tried to capitalize on capitalism many times. Yes. Uh, I'm talking about what the movie is saying and what the movie has to say about capitalism and the American experience, more so the American experience. Oh, there's land here, there's oil here, I will suck it dry and kill anything that gets in my way. So, question for you, I was thinking this at the end of the movie, um, when he, you know, kills, right. uh, what's his face, Sunday. Uh, Eli Sunday. Eli Sunday, and he's lying there and his servant comes up and says, you need anything, sir? And he goes, I'm finished, and that's the ending. Right. I think he's must have he must have murdered more people <clears throat> before that point, in between his brother and Be that guy. Because the uh, servant didn't seem all that nonplussed. This is like, oh, all 
Oh, another one. Right. Yeah, okay. It'd at it's least an be interesting like, read. Come on. Like, at least there had been something in his eye, but there was no, rec- there was no like, shock or awe or just like, do-to-do. I'll get the spare bowling pins from the closet, <laughs> sir. I'll wash the blood off these pins. Uh, oh, I think our, our dinner's yeah, coming. Yeah, I was signing that. So, uh, you, what's your final verdict, my love? Uh, I... Hi, thank you. I like Ben, ben uh, the uh, chef here, who That's is... Amazing. Uh, the the uh, architect of our dreams, <laughs> as he puts together some of the best food, uh, has just delivered our meals. And they both look great. What my wife is getting? What again? Classicos, meatballs, sausage, uh, over orchid, the bolognese. Sauce. All right, so uh, bolognese sauce, uh, meatballs, and sausage, and I got the salmon. Salmon it smells so good. Fresh pappardelle and zucchini pesto. Fresh pappardelle and zucchini pesto. And zucchini pesto. That was actually my nickname in high school, Zucchini Pesto. It wasn't, but that would have been cool. Thank you, Ben. Looks delicious. Uh, so, final verdict, and then we'll eat this delicious meal, and then I, come back and talk about Farsco. Okay. So, I thank I I liked the experience of watching it. Um, I think it was like I was just so amazed at the acting ability, what they said with their faces. Right. I always love that when I could see like true actors rise to these you know levels, like Daniel Lewis, Paul Dano. It was amazing. Um, but could have gone without seeing it and been okay as well. Gotcha. Uh, real fast before we eat, I just want to tell you, I'm going to learn how to talk like Daniel Plainview and talk <gasps> like him. I loved it. I loved it. You hear that? Sure. Yeah. I'm right. in oil bath. I think you'll all agree. He does it like And you couldn't stop talking about that sweater. Oh, the sweater at the end of the movie. The sweater got an Academy Award, I I heard. It got a Best Supporting Actor, uh, Best Supporting Sweater in a a drama. Let's eat. Okay, we'll be back to talk about Forrest Gump right after this. So, we are back. Now it's your time to talk about Forrest Gump, which I know you're just like anxious to do. The delicious food is in my belly, making Mm -hmm. me happy. Uh, But the idea that I have to talk about a movie that I once considered a classic, and... Mm -hmm. I now consider, well, let's let's start. Let, let's be clear. This movie is OK Boomer, the movie. This is... I don't know that movie. You know OK Boomer? Uh-uh. You don't know the meme OK Boomer? Oh, OK Boomer. You know what? I just heard about that meme today from so, one of my students. This, this movie is if OK Boomer became a movie, like if they were like, and from the people who brought you the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog movie comes OK Boomer, the movie, mm-hmm. it would be Forrest Gump. It is a technical masterpiece. It is a well-constructed, beautiful movie that hits the heartstrings when Forrest is at the tree saying, and he's so smart, Jenny. Uh, I lose it, I cry like a baby. All that said, this is a movie that takes some of the worst aspects of the way America sees itself and turns it into a film. And what I mean by that is, uh, the lesson at the heart of this movie is that quiet acquiescence to all authority is the key to success and happiness. Forrest is a success in the military because he has a single-minded purpose to do whatever he is told to do. He wins the Congressional Medal of Honor because Jenny told him to run. He became a shrimp boat captain because Bubba told him to be a shrimp boat captain. Uh, he went and did ping pong because the military told him to go and do ping pong. Uh, 
he the only thing he ever did for himself was was run uh, to get past the past. You know, everything else he w- was told to do, and he does it, and he's hit with tremendous success. He doesn't question anything. Uh, Lieutenant Dan, who is the vehicle by which we examine religion in the movie, right? Uh, they they become successful only after Lieutenant Dan acknowledges that he and God are okay. And then what does God do? He smites all the other shrimp boats <laughs> so that, that that they might be successful with a tremendous hurricane that hit Alabama. So uh, we we compare that to Jenny, who's a character that I've gone back and forth with. When I first watched the movie, I thought she was the villain of the movie. Uh, I I watched it again with new eyes uh, as the you know she's just sort of the uh, vehicle by which trauma is is examined you know the trauma of her youth uh, but really she's the counterexample to uh, Forrest all of the people that push back against authority are seen as craven uh, degenerates who will ultimately wind up. Uh, dead with AIDS under a tree. So if you're taking a takeaway from this movie, it's listen to everybody who's above you and you will be rich and happy. The second you push back and have any questions at all as to whether or not this is a good idea, your boyfriend will beat you, you'll do coke in LA, you'll get AIDS and die. So don't do that. I completely and utterly disagree with you. Okay, let me hear why. First of all, we want to start with Jenny. they say that she was like abused by her father, sexually molested. Um, they see that they acknowledge that, and that leads to her road. Yeah. It's not that they're saying that she pushed back. It's that she was put in the situation early on. They they give a reason. They don't have her being from like a well-meaning family and just go, yeah, screw the system. I'm going to do this and this and this. Well, think about the the counterculture as seen in this movie, right? The counterculture as seen in this movie is uh, Jenny, uh, her rat boyfriend, Wesley, Mm -hmm. uh, the super angry Black Panthers having a party at the Black Panther party, and uh, Abby Hoffman wearing the American flag on her shirt, right? Other than that, we don't see a counterculture. uh, Oh, and we also see them as like uh, dirty hippies going, who wants to go to California? Or who wants to go to San Francisco? Uh, and Jenny is seen as uh, as somebody who uh, doesn't care enough about Forrest in those years, or maybe cares too much because she doesn't want to bring him into the tumult of her life. But we don't get to see any good hippie. We don't get to see any good counterculture. All we see is the person who follows the rules is the one who gets success. I also disagree with he only gets success from following the rules. I see how, like, you know, he runs. They should tell him to run. Um, his mother <clears throat> raised him, got him in a good situation. Um, and then when he goes to, okay, when he goes to war, right, right um, he actually disobeys a direct order from Lieutenant Dan. Right. He says, don't get me, leave me here. And he still rescues him. It was a direct order, so he didn't get there from listening. Right. If he only didn't have like listened, he would have sat on that bank as he asked him to and saved nobody. Well, I would argue that uh, the superseding uh, Jenny uh, uh, job of uh, just run 
uh, was the order that he was listening to. He no, 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 says you, it, can't, you can't. You said he, was, he says yes to all authority. Right. Then you can't backtrack and say, well, he was listening to Jenny on well, that one. Well, Jenny is the higher authority, right? Jenny, which, by the way, uh, Forrest Gump is America's favorite incel. Uh, this guy, if he were alive today and he talked to you about Jenny as much as Forrest Gump talks to us about Jenny, I think somebody needed to sit at that bus stop and go, you got to relax about Jenny, man. Like, I get it. I get it. But, like, give her space, bro. You don't, like, you know, I was sitting out on the boat, and, of course, my mind turned to Jenny. Every time he says Jenny in the movie, take a shot. You'll be dead by hour one. Uh, a couple of questions, just in general, about this movie. Uh, are we sure that Forrest can consent to sex? Does he have the mental capacity... Is Jenny a rapist? <laughs> no, he's mental capacity. Like even even with the um the the shrimp boat. I mean, not only but back to the direct order. It wasn't an order for him to do it. He just said, I think he was away for him to honor his friend. And then when he invited Lieutenant Dan, I think he actually saves a lot of people. He does. He does save a lot of people. But I I think the the if if you were to take a meta commentary away from the movie, what the movie is is secretly telling you, and I don't know if Zemeckis intended this, I think it's just the way it worked out, which is uh, you follow the rules, start a business, go to college, go to war, start a business, be a good soldier, be a good American, be a good uh, uh, businessman, and success will come to you. No, and if you push back no, against this in any way whatsoever, no. you'll die of AIDS. He kept pushing back. But you think he was part of the counterculture? No, 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 he wasn't part of the counterculture. But he didn't actually acknowledge, like, Vietnam is bad, Vietnam is good, hippies are good, hippies are bad. He just went through life actually non-judgmental. So, uh, I, I think that it's not Forrest who's judgmental, it's the movie who's judgmental. The movie is holding Forrest up as an example of what we should aspire to. No, they showed Vietnam, and they portrayed Vietnam not as roses and flowers, they did horrific scenes. Right, but what they showed us was a good person in a bad situation comes away smelling okay, comes away being okay from this. There's no PTSD for for Forrest, there's no pain for Forrest. It's, well, he was a good soldier, he listened to his uh, super, superiors, he did what he was supposed to do, and he got out of it okay. So... He didn't listen to his peers. This is where you're, you're, you're ignoring facts when he didn't. Well, I mean... Okay. It, and then when his mom was sick, he jumped off the boat and went home. That's not that's not love. I'm not saying he doesn't love people. And I'm not saying that he's yeah, not. Yeah, that's a decision. I'm not saying he's not a good person. I'm just saying that let's not say every situation. Let's just say in an overall sense, it felt like the movie is telling us those who love God, love America, love mom, love apple pie, you're going to do great. America as it sees itself. When did religion come into this? Oh, there's a huge religious subtext in this. Uh, that whole Lieutenant Dan is basically just a discussion of, of God. He was yelling against God, then he went for a swim. I mean, I don't really think that... I didn't get any... Me, I didn't get any religious I mean, undertones. I, I didn't even... I mean, if you, if you look at it, uh, the, the first time that they see each other after the war in, in uh, New Year's Eve in mm -hmm. New York, uh, he goes, have you found Jesus yet, <clears throat> Gump? He's like, I don't know. I was supposed to be looking. And uh, then he goes, well, I'm going to heaven, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> right? He has this whole sort of uh, uh, childish view yeah, of the world. Sure. That 
you know, I'll go to heaven. And what I'm saying is, it, just to get back to the, the original point that uh, we were talking about, there will be blood as America really is, versus Forrest Gump as America sees itself. America sees itself as, if you are poor and from Alabama and you have 75 IQ, don't worry about it. The American dream is still open for you. Be a good soldier, listen to your superiors, eat your vegetables, say your prayers, everything will be fine. If you don't, AIDS in a tree. And I, I don't like the propaganda aspect of that, that I don't think America is really like that. I think that that's how the boomers saw themselves versus how it really was. I think you're grabbing too much away from this. Okay, the religion thing, I barely grab at that part, but there's other moments like when the, the they're opening the school for people that are right. African-American. She drops her book, he picks it up. Right. It's just like, it's not what he was told to do. He sees everybody the same. Like, he's like, oh, she dropped her book, they pick it up. It's just a very simplistic way of living. Like, you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. Right. And I would say that he actually is the person that takes care everybody. He's a protector. Right, but I would say that the the myth of Forrest, this this mythical I don't see color, I'm a good person and yet by being uh, uh, you know, a good American I achieve tons of success is just that a myth. I think the reality is you want to see the real millionaire shrimp boat owner? His name is Daniel Plainview. He quit the oil <laughs> business and he started working in the Alabama shrimping business and he destroyed. I'm a shrimp man. I think you'll all agree that I I'm a shrimp man. <laughs> and then he murdered all the other shrimp boat captains uh -huh. and now he's the, the boss. I think I think that's the sort of thing that I can appreciate this movie as a fairy tale. And I, I think that uh, uh, Tom Hanks is amazing in it. I think you Robert mean Zemeckis. He didn't teach Elvis' dance moves? Right. Well, and just as a moment there. Uh, I grew up in the in the 90s. This came out the same year that uh, Forrest Gump came out. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, as uh, Pulp Fiction came out. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting to me that you know you have the Gen X icon Quentin Tarantino basically looking at the past and saying I'm going to take all the cool stuff and turn it into art and move forward with it versus this movie which seems to want to say hey all these boomer things they're the important things and it's I, I realized just how much of my youth was spent like being told by boomers that uh, hey uh, Elvis, big deal. Uh, you know, it was also big. George Wallace, big deal. Uh, you know, the, the uh, John Lennon on uh, on Dick Cavett, huge deal. Uh, Shit happens T-shirt, huge. These are all important things. Learn about. See, right? I just thought that was just fun ways to incorporate into history. I, because I took it that way doesn't mean I'm wrong. Oh, but interesting fact about the um, Elvis thing. My brother was in class going over. Um, mass media talking about Elvis right. and a girl raised her hand and said, do you know that Forrest Gump really taught him how to dance? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think the American school system. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, that girl uh, is dumb as a brick. But, no. But if that girl says her prayers, oh eats gosh. her vitamins, oh my God. <laughs> listens to her mom and dad, she too will be a billionaire and she'll get to marry. Uh, which, I just want to say this. How I, do you know it's easy? You don't know it's AIDS because they had sex. They have sex. I mean, TV happens. They never say that it's AIDS, but what's the takeaway supposed to be? I have it's it's 1983. 
I have a virus, no one knows what it is, and it will kill me. So the end of the movie would be Tom Hanks and his son dying. Well, I mean, we don't know when she got it. You know, and, and I will say they play a little fast and loose with it. It might just be hepatitis, who knows? Right. But, uh, oh, uh, real fast, uh, would it be possible for you to sure. do that as well? All right, what's your name again? Karen. Karen? Yes. Our lovely waitress Karen coming to help us here. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I, I don't want you to think this is all I see when I see the movie. I'm being critical here because this is what our job is, is, mm -hmm. to, is to talk about things like this. Um, I, I don't think that it's, it's trying to say that these are the most important things. I just think that the boomers, for as much as they talk about the millennials being uh, narcissistic, the boomers, if they could go live inside their own asshole, they would. <laughs> and I completely agree they with that. Just, this is the most important stuff in history, guys. Just check it out. History started in 1950 and it ended in 1994. That's it. Just pay <laughs> attention. Oh, speaking of Jenny, first off, it would have been hilarious. I was just <laughs> thinking if Forrest Jr. would have been a black guy, like black kid. <laughs> He's yours, Forrest. Oh my God, he is. <laughs> because Jenny took so much advantage of, of uh, Forrest throughout the course of the latter years. I understand that, you know, I, I have new eyes for her because she dealt with trauma and you can't live in someone else's mind and she did get clean and everything. But it's, it, is, it is a little interesting where it's like, I went out, I was a hippie, I did a bunch of drugs, I did cocaine, I almost jumped off a building. Uh, I wore backless shirts. I was uh, I had sex with everybody, uh, and uh, now I'm tired. And my uh, the guy who's slow, <laughs> who lives back at home, is a millionaire. So now I'm kind of interested in what he's up to. So uh, I went back and I let him take care of me. We had sex once. I left him, and uh, I got pregnant by him. Maybe who knows? And uh, you know, I he now that I'm dying of AIDS, I will marry him. I wouldn't before, but now that I'm dying of AIDS, I will let him marry me and take care of me until I die. Is this the way you view life? Because it's very uh, depressing. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, look, ooh, well now I view life through the dessert menu, my love. Do you like any coffee, cappuccino, espresso? I would like my cappuccino because it's my favorite thing. Decaf cappuccino, please. Decaf cappuccino. Decaf cappuccino. Shut up, Jay. <laughs> uh, so, okay. This is a very pessimistic, if I, okay, if I'm gonna look at a movie pessimistically, I'm gonna find the things. If I'm gonna look at it optimistically, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see different things. The same thing with your movie, There Will Be Blood. I mean, it's really hard to look at it with optimism because the title is There Will Be Blood. Right. So you're like, oh, there will be blood. Yeah, and we got the blood. <laughs> Didn't lie to us. Uh, so you wanna wrap this up? It's a lot better than life is uh, Lack a of box of chocolates. We're, we're feathers, or maybe we're not. I don't know. Probably both. I'm a movie. I don't really have much of a thought about this. The one thing that did bother me is that not one thing, but the thing that bothered me was the bus driver being the same. Right. That I didn't get that. Oh, one last thing. Speaking of that, the bus driver. Are, are we a hundred percent sure? Number one, that it was consensual because I don't know if Forrest can consent. Back to that. But number two, are we okay with Forrest taking care of this baby? Oh. Are we 100% okay with this? Yes. 100% okay with it. He took care of everybody. This kid comes home with an issue from school. You know, he's just, uh, hey, Dad, I got algebra homework. Uh, what's Forrest doing in this situation? I can't do algebra homework. Yeah, but you got me. Yeah, but they have it, teachers for that. Yeah. I mean, if you want someone to love you unconditionally, I'd say, I would argue that's more important. Get than, a Labrador Retriever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Question. Question. Better parent. Forrest Gump, Labrador Retriever. Go. Forrest Gump. Come on. I don't know. I think a well-trained Labrador. <laughs> very, very uh, much better. Okay. All right. So let's let's go to final judgments before we uh, do this. Uh, let's talk about what we learned about the other person in this very tem- uh, tempestuous yeah. episode. A lot of rancor. We're going to have to fight on the way home, I think. I'm more mad at you for ordering a de- decaf cappuccino. <laughs> if, if we were, if this were uh, our first date, I'd still go on a second date because you're hot. But I'd be like, that's weird. I'd, that'd be the first thing I would talk about. No, you wouldn't. You first, would have looked past my boobs. Well, the boobs would be like way high on the list. <laughs> But then you it would have heard anything I said. And then there would be a lot of conversation with my friends like, yeah, she was hot. And I really liked her. And she went really far on the first date, uh-huh. uh, which I liked. But she ordered decaf cappuccino. I don't know. She's like, I'll go out with her again. But I'm going to keep an eye on her because she might be an alien. Come down to learn about the ways of humans. The things you like and dislike, very odd. Love that sweater. <laughs> Love that sweater. Forrest Gump didn't have a sweater that good. Oh, he had great sweaters. Great sweaters, but he didn't have... No, no, not, not End that. End of There not, Will Be Blood no. sweater. Yes. All right, so let me tell you what I've learned about you, woman. <laughs> I, Bring it. I think, and I think that this is a very sweet aspect of you, I think all this stuff that I'm cynical about, you believe in. You want to live in a world where being a good person and eating your... Uh, vegetables and saying your prayers and doing all the things that you're supposed to do leads to success. And I think that, in a way, that's part of the reason why I love you so much is that you do believe in this optimistic take on the world. You and call me a boomer? No, no, no. If, if I were calling you a boomer, I would say, why do you keep talking about 1975 like it was so important? No, you don't get it, man. Bob Seeger. You don't get Bob Seeger. Let me tell you more. About Bob Seeger. I don't know why I'm talking about like I don't know. Bob Seeger. Uh, no. no. You're saying my, my likes are aligning with that. No, no, no. When I say this is okay, boom in the movie, I'm not saying that the, the boomers. Uh, I, there's two separate things. I'm joking about the idea that the boomers are so far up their own butthole that they can see an epic sweep in the 40 years that they were alive at that point as the most important 40 years in American history. They didn't start the fire. Yeah, uh, the, I think the boomers should be like, no, we started the fire. And the it years was, that we did it. And it was, this is the years we did it, and it was really bright, and millennials could never have a fire this big. The end, okay, boomer. Uh, and I think that you, you want to live in that world, and I think that you try to live your life as as close to the ideals of be good and good will happen as you can. And I think that's part of the reason why I love you and I'm happy to be in your orbit. Oh, that's very sweet of you. And I think you're upset because you had some shitty things to say about I me. I wasn't going to say anything shitty. About there will be blood. Here's what I learned about you, Jay. You're a sociopath. <laughs> no, you said Paul Thomas Anderson is. I don't remember that. We're going to have to go check the tape. No. I hope that doesn't ruin my chance of friendship with him. <laughs> you just might not hold your hand when you walk. Uh, then he would be a sociopath because I am very hand holdable. Would, would you rather hold hands with him or Rachel Maddow? Ooh. That's tough. I think it would be too electric with me and Rachel. <laughs> I don't want her to question. <laughs> I don't want her to really like. That could oh, happen. Oh my God, I touched his hand and maybe I'm not gay. Especially that dyed beard. Yeah, look good. Wow, you're being super mean to me right now. Uh, let's let's hop into. I'm what not you, being super mean to you. What you've learned you. about me. Um, that. You think you're a better dad than a Labrador Retriever. 
Um, I, I, that. I was a better dad than a Labrador Retriever. Um, I think there's a strong argument to make that the kids would be better off if I die, marry a Labrador Retriever. <laughs> and I think the kids would be like, wow, this new dad really plays with us a lot. Right. Um, so, Linda, about you. I obviously think you're very intelligent. I think that you uh, see things that other people don't see, and you're very good at proving your point. As that's always something that you've been very good at. Um, but I don't think you are hating on the movie. So you can you can admire all aspects. I think you want to like critique the movie, and it's kind of like what the movie does for you, but not like how it ends or how it begins or anything in the middle. It's like you take the movie as a whole and you want to find interesting aspects about it, which is really cool. Like, I just kind of see a movie for what it is. Right. And I, that's also a failing of mine because I just want to live in that world for a little bit and you want to explore that world. Gotcha. All right. Ooh, our cappuccinos have come. Let's make sure she gets the decaf. Yeah. Mm. God forbid she gets a little caffeine at, uh, what time is it? 6.07. Actually, that oh is God, late for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I know what I want, honey. What are you going to get? I was thinking I'd the vanilla-infused Italian custard served with macerated berries. Panicata. I will do, please, <laughs> the lemoncello flute. Okay. Thank you just want to say lemoncello. Lemoncello. I'm trying to get the cannoli. So, no. Lemoncello. I, it actually makes me... Um, Cello lemon. I'm sorry. It makes me um, admire you and your brain and how you can come up with all these theories that... Other people can't. Um. I don't. I'll say this. I don't think other people can't. I think the internet is filled with people whose only job it is is to come up with theories like this. I do understand what you're saying, though. I just didn't want to gild the lily. I appreciate you saying oh, that. You're very bright, and it, it makes me see things in a different way. A bet a more negative light, but a different way. <laughs> uh, again, I, I think that you can enjoy a movie for what it is, but you can also have a thought as to what yeah. the movie's trying to say. Yes, and you, you delve into that and you want the lesson you want the lessons to be good and pure and you're worried about the underlying themes of what is teaching people. And we need people in this earth to do that. Alright. Well here's what I'll tell you folks. Uh, you know, you're not a feather. You're not a feather. You don't need I don't to understand why you're saying that. Is I that? know the feather and the beginning and end, but that's not saying people are feathers. You're not a feather. Okay. That's my new, ch check out my new podcast, You're Not a Feather. <laughs> Inspirational quotes from Jay Black. Check out Christina's new podcast, Other Things That I Drink That Don't Have Caffeine In. The Christina, the Christina Black podcast. I'm drinking uh, lemon tea right now. Don't worry, don't worry. Non-caffeinated. <laughs> Welcome to Things That Aren't Caffeinated, the oh. Christina Black podcast. I'm drinking water right now. Guess what, guys? No caffeine. And it's good. Yeah, you out. fall asleep because yeah, yeah, you help people fall asleep. Yeah. It's right. like uh, ASMR for people that don't know what ASMR is. <laughs> All right, so this is with the movie and a dinner podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't, please don't tell us. But if you have, uh, please subscribe to this if you haven't already. And uh, if you're looking for a good place to discuss movies mm -hmm. uh, with your spouse, even, and if, decaf, it, even if it gets rancorous, you got to come to Cafe Gennaro. It is. One of uh, Casa Gennaro, not ca yeah. I say cafe sometimes. Casa Gennaro. It is uh, good food, good people, and uh, one of the best places you can spend your time with. Oh, I never, I never had a bad dish. It's wonderful here. All right. All right, we'll be back next time. Thanks for listening.
The Speaking Podcast brought to you by our friends at House of Cupcakes, serving you in Princeton, East Brunswick, Clifton, and Saudi Arabia. The winner of Cupcake Wars offers 35 different flavors, perfect for a special occasion or just a sweet treat. Houseofcupcakes.com. The Speaking Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Flemington Car and Truck Country. 16 brands of cars and trucks. I'm a loyal customer buying my last two trucks there and can tell you no one beats the deals or offers better service. Visit Flemington.com. The Speaking Podcast brought to you by our friends at Casa Gennaro's on Route 27 in Kingston. Call 609-683-1212 for reservations. They're open for dinner every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Ask for my favorite special, the Veal Spadia. Best Italian food in Jersey.